Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. I am your host, James Davies, and I am joined by Juan, Miles, and Peter. Today, we'll be discussing different developing countries around the world. But before we get into that, I figured we introduce ourselves and give the audience a little bit, uh, a d- little bit about why we're here today. So let's start off with Juan. Thanks, James. Hi, everyone. So I'm a senior at Stack, uh, doing a major in management and a minor in economics. What about you, James? Sure, Juan. I'm a senior at Stack, uh, majoring in finance with a minor in sports management and economics. Peter, why don't you introduce yourself next? Of course. I'm a sophomore at Stack, majoring in biology, who recently switched from accounting. Let's move on to Miles. Everyone, I'm Miles. I'm a junior with a major in finance and a minor in economics and computer science. Now that we introduced ourselves, Miles, could you tell me why we're here today? Yeah, sure thing. Today we're here to talk about several developing countries chosen for our economic development class here at Stack. Our goal is going to be to explain the countries and a little bit of their background and their economic standing. Great. Thanks, Miles. Uh, now let's get into our countries. Juan, why don't you start us off with your country? Okay. So Uruguay is a country located in South America. It shares borders with Argentina to its west and southwest and Brazil to its north and northeast while bordering the Rio de la Plata to the south and the Atlantic Ocean to the southeast. It is part of the southern Con region of South America. Uruguay covers an area of approximately 70,000 square miles and has a population of an estimated 3.4 million, of whom around 2 million live in the metropolitan area of its capital and largest city, Montevideo. Juan, do you want to share more information about Uruguay? Yes, sure. Uruguay's economic performance has been characterized by a high degree of social equality and a re- relatively low level of income inequality compared to the other countries in the region. The country has implemented progressive social policies, including free education and healthcare, as well as a social security system that covers a significant portion of the population. These policies have contributed to reducing poverty and improving the standard of living for many Uruguayans. Also, Uruguay's economic freedom score is 70.2, making its economy the 27th freest in the 2023 index. Its score is 0.2 points higher than last year. Also, Uruguay is ranked 4th out of 32 countries in the Americas region, and its overall score is significantly above the world and regional averages. Thanks for that update on your country, Juan. Uh, Peter, why don't you go next? My country is India, which is located in South Asia and borders Pakistan to the west, as well as Nepal, Bangladesh, and China to the east. The population is 1.428 billion, surpassing China's 1.425 billion. In India, there have been growing industrial feats such as the newly unveiled underwater tunnel within the Calcutta metro. It is India's first underwater metro that has passed its maiden test. While this technological advancement seems hopeful for India, there are also environmental issues that need to be sorted out. Prime Minister Narendra Modi ensured the UN that by 2070, India will have net zero emissions, although other countries have urged India to chase that progress sooner in 2050. There is also the issue of massive overpopulation and congestion within the cities. This is partially due to how women don't have access to family planning, as is the case in other developing countries. It is even worse in Pakistan, and such gender inequality is also seen in Bangladesh, as it used to be part of Pakistan as well, prior to the early 1970s. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Miles, why don't you go next? Sure. My country is Colombia. They're located in South America, bordering other countries like Brazil, Venezuela, and Ecuador. Colombia's current leader is Gustavo Petro, who won his election in June 2022, and he claims to be bringing Colombia in a more left-wing direction. He leads 51 million people, and it's determined 
um, to lead them in a better direction. However, this will be difficult because of the ongoing problems like the extreme poverty gap. Colombia's Gini coefficient is around 51.5%, leaving the country with moderate, unequal wealth distribution. Uh, Miles, could you explain to us uh, in our audience what the Gini coefficient is? Yes. The Gini coefficient is an economic measure between zero and one, where zero is perfect equality and everybody holds the same amount of wealth, and one is equal to perfect inequality, which is one person holds all the wealth in the entire country. So Colombia's Gini coefficient is 0.515 or 51.5%. And according to inequality.org, the state's top 1% holds around 37.3% of the wealth and the bottom 50% of the population holds only 1.6% of the wealth. In reality, this equates to Colombia having large neighborhoods of people who only live on $100 per month, while other smaller cities have citizens who live in nice neighborhoods similar to first world countries. James, what about your country? Oh, sure. I almost forgot about mine. Uh, My country is uh, Venezuela. Venezuela is in South America and is located next in the north next to Colombia. Uh, Venezuela has a population of 26 million people and their current leader is Nicolas Maduro. The election of Maduro is not recognized by some countries like the U.S. due to the corruption and human right abuses seen in Venezuela. Venezuela's main currency is the Boliviar, and it has really struggled over recent times as Venezuela has been dealing with hyperinflation. James, what is hyperinflation? Sure, Juan. Hyperinflation is uh, when there are very large price increases uh, month over month. And according to Statista, prices increased 63,000% in 2019. Honestly, can't imagine having to live with price increases like that. We get worried here in the U.S. when inflation is above the Fed's target rate, like it's been for the past year or so. And I cannot imagine dealing with that level of inflation. You would have to spend your money every day as the next day your money be valued even less. What caused the hyperinflation, James? Sure, Juan. Uh, In 2012, Venezuela had reached its apex in terms of GDP, according to the graph from Statista. In 2013, oil prices tumbled, and so did the Venezuelan economy. It has started to recover over the last couple of years, but is nowhere near the levels they were at in 2012. It still is not producing enough oil to have the effect that it once did. Venezuela's main export is oil, and its production has been decreasing since 2013. One thing that's definitely hurting them is the sanctions put on by the U.S., which bans oil imports from Venezuela and blocks Venezuelan access to the American financial system. With the war in Ukraine, the U.S. has resumed limited operations in its Venezuela, but that is still not enough to bring up its GDP. So to get back to the hyperinflation, in response to the drop in oil prices, President Maduro decided to print more money to solve the issue, and it added a lot of money to the supply of money in the economy, So pushing that which pushed the value of the Boliviar down even further. So as the prices rose, the government printed more money to pay its bills. And when that happens, you deal with hyperinflation. Speaking of which, India has faced considerable inflation as of recently, according to ZBiz, an Indian business website. The inflation afflicting India would be massive food inflation in cereals, which rose from 13.8% to 16.1%. Crude oil prices also increased by 2% in the wake of how the West introduced price ceilings to Russian oil amidst the concurrent Russo-Ukrainian war. This also led to India being more dependent on oil imports since Russia was forced to reduce oil production. This could add to potential strife within the BRICS alliance. Do you have anything more to add, James? 
Yeah, to add a little bit more sort of on uh, current issues with Venezuela. So as I said before, Venezuela's main export is oil. And since their main export is oil, they have a state-owned, state-owned oil company. And over the last six months, there's been a lot of arrests there dealing with their state-owned oil company and their crypto watchdog as Venezuela has an official cryptocurrency called the Petro. We've also seen the leader of the state-owned company resign and over 30 people have been arrested. And oil is, a, you know, as I said, is a big part of their GDP. And they weren't receiving payments last year from a bunch of their transactions. In particular, two oil brokers were arrested for receiving crypto as payment for oil so they could avoid sanctions and settlement payments. I think all this goes to show what is going on in Venezuela as its main challenges are corruption, hyperinflation, and human right abuses. And that's going to be it for what I have to report on Venezuela today. Colombia isn't a perfect country either. They experience a lot of civil and political unrest, and they continue to have military conflicts with guerrilla groups like the ELN or militia groups like the AGC. These conflicts have led to the assassination of over 30 local leaders in the first three months of 2023. And in addition, nine Colombian soldiers were killed in an attack by the ELN at the end of March. This throwing the peace negotiations that the government had with ELN off track. To add to all that, Uruguay also has struggled with inflation in the recent years. With the rate of 9.4 in 2020, driven by factors such as rising food prices, currency depreciation, and supply chain disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The government has implemented measures to control inflation, including raising interest rates and reducing spending, while maintaining a low public debt to the GDP ratio, stable financial institutions, and a transparent legal and a regulatory framework that encourages foreign investment. Despite all those challenges, Uruguay's strong record of macroeconomic stability, financial sector development, and social policies have helped to limit the impact of the inflation on the wider population. Do you guys, do you guys mind if I add one more thing? Sure, go ahead, James. Thanks, Miles. So I feel like it's important to note that with the high corruption levels in Venezuela, that many of the economic statistics reported may not be reliable. Even coming from uh, the reliable sources from the government, potentially, uh, are still misleading due to the to the rest of the world, so they can paint themselves sort of in a, uh, as better than they are. Yeah, Colombia doesn't seem to be much different either. In the past, Colombia has faced a lot of corruption, halting their economic development, and just recently, the state finally acknowledged more than 3,000 confirmed assassination and thousands of other victims um, who opposed the party's terror campaigns. All the violence occurred within the past 30 years, and they were they occurred without serious political opposition. The government um, can stay corrupt and use the fundings and their power to benefit those who are in charge, not the citizens in the country. Hopefully the new president, Gustavo Petro, can turn Colombia around in a new direction like he claims. That's very interesting, Miles. In India, there are conflicts between the Hindus and the Muslims. This conflict bleeds into international light when talking about Indo-Pakistani relations, as there is still conflict within the Kashmir region as both India and Pakistan claim that region as their own territories. While Modi may have good intentions for his own country in terms of combating poverty and mitigating climate change, he's also a very controversial figure too. He is part of India's BJP. The Bharatiya Janata Party is a Hindutva party which has caused conflicts within Muslims of India and is opposed by the secular rival party, the Indian National Congress. Hindutva basically means Hinduness. Adherents of Hindutva seek to Hinduize politics and militarize Hindudom. It evolved out of the Hindu nationalist sentiment from when India was fighting for independence from the British Empire. 
In 2002, he was complicit with the Gujarat riots when he was the leader of the state of Gujarat in Western India at the time. In response to the 19 Hindus being killed, he let Muslims be raped and killed. Very recently, there has been a documentary from BBC criticizing Modi's response, or lack thereof, to the riots, which has been massively censored throughout the country. Do you guys mind if I share one last uh, interest fact about your wife? Uh, maybe? It just depends what it is. Okay, so um, one interesting fact about Uruguay is that it is known for having one of the highest literacy rates in Latin America, with a literacy rate of almost 98%. The country has a strong tradition of education, with free compulsory and secular education, for all children from ages 6 to 14. Additionally to this, Uruguay was also the first country in the world to provide a laptop to every primary school child, as part of its One Laptop Per Child program which aimed to promote digital uh, inclusion and improve access to education. This program has been successful in reducing the digital divide and improving educational outcomes, making UI a leader in educational technology in the region. All right, Juan, I'll give you that. That was good. Thank you. Does anyone else have anything like to add before we conclude our podcast today? Nope, that's it. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Nope, thank you. That would be everything. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's definitive. Thank you all. That's going to be it for today's podcast. I want to thank you all for listening and take care.